we're going to spend some time here in the next 30 or 40 minutes or an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three, I don't know. Uh, but we're going to spend some time talking about doing away with the old and welcoming the new. And I am thrilled that we have the privilege of newness, new life in and through Jesus Christ. Now, I have the privilege of talking to lots of people, and I have had for many, many, many years. And even right now, I talk to many of you. I have visits on Saturday afternoon. I had two wonderful visits yesterday. And one of the things that comes up often as I talk and listen to folks around me is we are rightly distressed about some of the junk that goes on in this world. Amen. Amen. It's just hard. And I hear people say to me, how does all this happen? And where does all this come from? The, the sin, the tragedies, the opposition, the violence, the disbelief, the, the on and on and on and on and on. And when they ask me, how does this happen, I have a pretty standard answer, although it's much more complex than just these two or three words. I look at people and I say, well, it is selfishness and darkness. Now, we know that as sinful people, and I pray, I trust, I believe, that everybody I'm speaking to right now is not in the darkness because we have been given the light and that light is Jesus Christ. And we are to live in that light and love in that light and operate in that light. But Satan loves the darkness. <laughs> and as we are called to be disciples, and then to go and make disciples, I am convinced that we do need to look and to understand and to embrace, that's a bad word, well, it's a good word, but it's, I'm not saying to be in favor of the darkness, but to engage with the darkness. Because Jesus already won the victory over darkness. And yet it is all around us, and yes, I and you, we are still sinful people. I've said to you that we are sinful and we are spiritual. We are still human beings struggling with sin and selfishness in our lives. And we have to be very, very, very careful. And I'm saying we, not just you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm right there with you. We have to be very, very careful because Satan can't have you. No, he cannot have you when you belong to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He, he cannot have you. But boy, he can trip you up. He can mess with you. He can deceive you. He's really, really good at what he does. And he hits us in that, still that selfish part of us. And if we are not careful... And close to the Lord, that selfish part of us just gets bigger. And he hits us right there, and we live 
unfortunately, sometimes in our selfishness and our sin, therefore, this darkness, this blindness that causes a lot of struggles. Scripture talks a good bit about that. And part of what I want to do today, as per usual, is I want to go to Scripture and look at, first we're going to look, and it's not a pretty picture, I want to tell you. But I felt led that we needed to go and look at some of the darkness that happens in, in human beings. And there's a passage in the third chapter of Romans. Now Paul was very, very direct, very firm with what he taught, what he wrote, what he said. And he has been talking here in the third chapter of Romans about the Jewish people and the fact of their struggle with sin and them being under the law. And we know we're not under the law, but all of this passage in the third chapter of of Romans has to do with the darkness and the sinfulness that we all struggle with. And so I want to look at that for just a little bit because there in Romans 3, starting with verse 9, he says, well, what shall we conclude after we've talked about all this sinfulness? Are we any better, meaning Jews or even Christian people? You and I need it. We're not any better. We still struggle as human beings. Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin as it is written. And now Paul launches into several quotations from the Old Testament. These phrases about the darkness and about the sin of human beings, he is quoting specifically from the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah, and there are some very drastic and harsh statements here. But listen, because... This is part of, and I'm going to use a big word here, and you know it, but it is the depravity of mankind. That means the baseness, the the darkness, the sinfulness, the depravity of mankind. That's what Paul's about to say. So he says here in the third chapter of Romans, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. I told you this was harsh and dark and difficult. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery marks their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. Oh my goodness. And the way of peace, sinful man, the depravity of man, does not know the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now remember, this is not something Paul just made up. He has gone back in his knowledge of Old Testament teachings. And he has listed these things that are a part of what we all 
have a tendency to struggle with in our darkness, in our sinfulness. However, we go on with verse 21 and verse 3, and that's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to it or read it in the third chapter, verse 21, and it starts off by saying, but now. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second because we've just read something very, very harsh and terrible, right? I don't like that picture. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. And yet, I am saying that for you and I to be disciples and to make disciples as God has asked us to, that we need to understand, we need to be aware of, we need to be looking at this depravity of mankind. But here in verse 21, we have this conjunction. We have this new light that's about to be shown on this scripture. And in verse 21, he said, But now, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. Now, I want you to hear the hopefulness in this. But now, there's a righteousness of God, a, a light that is now shining in the darkness. And so this has been the known which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes from faith in Jesus Christ to, who, to all who believe in him. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that verse. And this is where it is in Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the, of the glory of God and are justified. Think about that word for a moment. We've got this depravity that is, it's been in our lives. Jesus has forgiven us and given us freedom from that, but we still struggle with the sinful part of us. But do you realize, do you think about every day, this right here says, you are justified. Do you know what that means? That means the charges are dismissed. If you were going into a court of law and you were under charge and the judge looks at you and says, well, you're justified, sir or ma'am. Hallelujah. <laughs> the charges have just been erased and this is what this is saying. All have fallen short of the glory of God, but you being in Jesus, you are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, Jesus Christ is the light. And this is the answer to the depravity of man. It's the answer to you and I. It's the answer to darkness. Because today, in this place, through scripture... We're talking about newness. We're talking about transformation. We're talking about a new life. And I love newness. I love brightness. I love what we've already sung today, what we've already worshipped. I walked into the choir this morning at, at 9.15, back in the choir room. They allow me to come in and tease with them a little bit and then pray for a moment. And I thought, wow, there's excitement going on in this group of men and women back here in this room, and we have witnessed it. That's because of the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, 
this newness. I want to read a passage of Scripture, another passage of Scripture, a bright, uh, hopeful passage of Scripture from the book of Isaiah. And I want to comment on this, and this is one of my favorites. I mean, how do you say what are your favorite Scriptures when there are so many that mean so much to you and to me? But in Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, just such an amazing, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but an amazing passage. Isaiah 43, I read it earlier, verses 16 through 21. But this is what the Lord says. He, the Lord who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now, obviously, you know what that's saying. He's going back to the children of Israel as as they've left Egypt, left 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And now God is delivering them. But now what's happening? They're being chased by Pharaoh and all of his armies. Can you imagine that? It seems like, from what is understood by more people that know about it than I do, but there were three million Jews moving across the desert, moving toward the Red Sea, moving toward this water. And behind them are all of these soldiers and their chariots and their horses. And they're coming because the Pharaoh has said, no, I don't want to let them go. They're our slaves. Go capture them and bring them back. But God is providing a way. Now, Scripture tells us, and I'm wondering if you believe it. Some Bible scholars do not believe it. I believe it because it says that these waters were parted and the children of Israel walked across the sea and here come the Egyptian soldiers right out into the middle of the water and the waters receded, came back over them and they were all drowned, and that's why it says, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now, I don't know if it's true, but have you seen some of the articles here in recent days about the fact that they have discovered what they're calling a land bridge across the sea? This is on Internet. It's on various things that we look at. And they've discovered some sort of a shallow area across the sea. And this is right where apparently the Jewish people came to. No coincidence in that. And they even have discovered what they believe are coral reefs in the shape of chariot wheels. Now this was, what, almost 3,000 years ago. But they're discovering now and they're declaring people that believe scripture and believe in these discoveries that this is some proof that this miraculous event happened. Now, to be real honest, I've just read about that in the last year or so. Guess what? I've believed it for the last 50 years. Okay? I'm thankful for the proof, but I didn't have to have the proof because we got God's word. And so here is this event that takes place. But now, the main thing I want you to see is that in verse 18 of Isaiah 43, the Lord goes on with what he's saying. 
And he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Do not, listen please, do not dwell on the past. Because you know what? Every one of us in this room has been sinful in the past and we still struggle with it. But I spend a lot of time in my counseling practice helping people deal with the guilt of the past. They feel badly because of something they did 40 years ago, 50 years ago, yesterday, last week. And even though they've been forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, right here in Isaiah, back before Jesus Christ, it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Now, who wants you to dwell on the past? Satan does. Satan does. God wants you to dwell on the truth of the light, the forgiveness, the freedom that is a part of what he has given us through redemption. But Satan wants you to dwell on the past. And he wants you to think about it. Now, I'm going to tell you something psychologically. The negative thoughts that you have are much more powerful than the positive thoughts. That is a proven fact. And so when you start thinking about the past and you start thinking about the struggles or the mistakes or the things that you and I have done in the past that are sinful or wrong, then that's going to bind you up. It's going, to, it's going to pull you toward this darkness that I'm talking about. And so here in Isaiah it says, do not dwell on the past. Now, what are you supposed to dwell on? The light of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. How about that? Does that sound all right to you? Sounds all right to me. It's truth. That is what we're supposed to dwell on. Now, a little footnote here about this past and forgiveness. I don't believe in you forgiving yourself. People talk all the time, well, but Dr. Solomon, I can't forgive myself. I have to keep thinking about what I did in the past and I hurt this person or I sinned against God. Yes, we all do. And I, I just can't forgive myself. I, I know God's forgiven me. Wait a second. You know God's forgiven you. But you can't forgive yourself. Number one, you're disagreeing with Almighty God. Number two, whose business is it to forgive? It's not yours. I think it's pretty presumptuous for a Christian to say, well, I just can't forgive myself. I know God's forgiven me. Please, please understand that that's a lie that Satan has put into your life. And you're not supposed to live in that lie. You're supposed to live in the freedom that God forgives. And it says there, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Isaiah, the Holy Spirit, this writing is begging you and I to see it, to embrace it, to realize that this is a new thing, that there's newness of life in and through God's plan. So he says, I'm doing a new thing. That springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now I've got to sit there for a minute. I'm making a way in the desert 
and streams in the wasteland. I'm going to share a personal statement with you. That verse of scripture right there, it's the 18th, 19th, right through there, the 18th and 19th verse in Isaiah 43. That became very powerful for me in 1998 because I left a church position in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And now I get a little emotional about this because I had a brother, a great Christian brother. I was there for four years had a great ministry. I was college pastor and counselor for a large Baptist church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And I had a friend and a brother. His name was Ray Thomas. And he attached himself to me and I attached myself to him. Mickey and I even lived with them in their house for about two months when we were between the houses up there. I mean, we were close friends and brothers. In fact, on top of that, he was a really good tennis player, and I was too, and we played a lot of tennis until one day we were playing tennis, and I said, Ray, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> 1996, the shoulder would not allow me to play anymore, and I've not touched a tennis racket since then. Sad point. But I, my brother, Ray, he's been in this church I didn't know that when I met him in Pennsylvania. But we got to talking about Virginia Beach, and he said, well, Don, I've been to Virginia Beach. I had a friend there. And then he said, you know, my friend, he dated a woman after he had gone through a divorce, and this woman had gone through a divorce. He said, I've been in a church, King's Grand Baptist Church. Now, we're in Pennsylvania. And now Ray and Don are brothers and friends and we're just in conversation. And suddenly we're sitting right here in this sanctuary where he had come for worship. Ray, a fine Christian man. Absolutely one of the best I've known. Well, the reason this is my story about Ray Thomas is because when I left there, it broke his heart and it broke mine because I miss him. I miss him to this day. And he gave me a book, and in the fly of the book, he wrote Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. This verse that we're talking about today. And he knew that I was following the Lord as I left there. And he said, please read, and the Lord is doing a new thing. Do not perceive it. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. That verse right there, I came here in 1998 to Virginia Beach, moved in back down in the beachfront on 15th, 16th Street, and I started a house church as soon as we got back to Virginia Beach. And the name of the house church was Desert Stream Community Church from this verse of Scripture. If you look at my business card for my counseling, it is Desert Stream Christian Counseling. You think I don't like this verse on my business card is this verse of Scripture. Because in your life and in my life, if, 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 if we continue to seek the Lord, He will continue to do new things. He will get us, He will help us to forget the past and not dwell on it. He will take us to new things. He is making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. 
Do you understand the, the, the illustration there? The darkness that I read about earlier, the tragedy of blindness and darkness, tragedy of Satan and sin in this world, is the desert and the wasteland. But what is Almighty God saying? And what is God saying through Jesus Christ? I am making a way, a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Do you know John 14, 6? What did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. And he goes on here, still in Isaiah 43. He says, the wild animals honor me and the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the desert. What kind of water? Living water. Yes. That is what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. He said, if you'll take this that I'm giving you to drink, this living water, water will well up within you to what? Eternal life. That is hopefulness. That is freedom. That is redemption. That is newness in its absolute spot. And so he's saying here in Isaiah 43, I am providing water in the desert, streams in the wasteland. This is the wonderful water. And then he's saying, to give to my people my chosen. Now, I've used this verse over and over and over, and you probably get tired of it, but I'll keep using it over and over and over. Because in 1 Peter 2, the ninth verse, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's own people. So that, you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a great passage of scripture. And it, and it confirms. Isn't it wonderful when the Bible interprets the Bible? When something in the Old Testament and the New Testament go hand in hand. Well, that's he's saying right here in verse 20. To give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim. Proclaim my praises. 1 Peter 2, 9. So that these people can proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is newness. This is transformation. We don't have to live in the darkness, even though we still struggle. And this is a part of it. Now, we go to the New Testament. And this powerful statement in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now, I've told you a story. I told you this story several months ago, but I've got to tell it again. Because it's one of the most miraculous, amazing things that I've ever seen in ministry and in my counseling practice. I, this was probably 30, 35, 40 years ago. I don't even remember the young lady's name, and I'm very sorry that I do not, because I've told the story many, many times. This young lady had just become a Christian. Her pastor, 
she had been a Christian for maybe two months. Her pastor had sent her to me because she was just absolutely devastated, completely racked, depressed, suicidal, everything because of guilt from her past. There it is. She was majoring on the past. And she had a terrible past. She was 25. She had been very promiscuous in her sexual life, had been pregnant twice, and had allowed and been committed to abortions. Two. And so now here is sexual misbehavior, here is pregnancy, and in my mind and probably in yours, she had murdered two babies. And she was horrified. And her pastor had talked to her and she had read scripture and she still could not get away from the fact that she had done these terrible things in her past. The depravity of this woman was very real, as it is in us. But in counseling, and I am so thankful for this because I am a Christian counselor, meaning that I base things on godly scriptural principles. I use scripture, I pray, I pray for my clients, I pray in my head even as I'm listening to them. And as I'm talking to this young lady, this passage of scripture from the 2 Corinthians 5 chapter verse 17. It came to my mind. And I looked at the woman and I quoted the scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I said, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, 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 yes. I am a Christian. I have been saved. I believe in Christ, the young lady said. I said, therefore, you are a new creation. And then I looked at her and I said, based on this scripture, you are a virgin. Now that might shock you, but what does God say? She is a new creation because of the presence of Jesus Christ in her life. Now that young lady looked at me and she thought I'd lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And she even said, have you been listening to me? Do you understand my past? Do you understand the sexual misbehavior? Do you understand the pregnancy? Do you understand the, the abortions and how horrible that is? And I looked at her and I said, let's go back to what this says from God's Word. Anyone, you young lady, in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. Well, new creation means new creation. That means you are a virgin. Folks, that changed the woman's life. I saw her for another two months, but she was a different person. Why? Because of the light that God put in this woman's life with this scripture right here. And it's not just for her, but every one of us has sinned, and we still struggle with it. But we have the light of Jesus Christ. And this is a part of the transformation, the newness. And I want you to listen very carefully to this passage of Scripture. And yes, I'm moving toward conclusion. 
but this is still really important because Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what it says. We're talking about newness. We're talking about transformation. We're talking about being disciples and making disciples. That's what this whole business for the last three or four weeks has been about. And it's saying right here, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. This world is darkness and sin. And Satan's in charge of this world. (laughs) But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? To trust in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about this. Now you can sit here and say, well, okay, preacher, that's good, but I've already trusted in Jesus. Yes, and I told you when I first started, I trust, I believe, that I'm talking to everybody in here that is a believer that has Jesus Christ in life. If you're here and you're not a believer, if you don't know this freedom and newness, if you don't know this new creation that Scripture is talking about, then be sure you talk to me before you leave here today. Please. Because it's the most important thing that you can do in your life. But for every one of us in here that is a believer, Number one, we have got to hold that in front of us through God's power constantly, day by day, hour by hour, because we're in the process of sanctification. That means it doesn't stop, folks. We're climbing a mountain. And the mountain is a lifelong mountain. And the mountain is wonderful because God's helping us up the mountain. But we've got to live in that freedom. We've got to live in the light so that we can be the disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we're called to go and make disciples. Please. We've got to move. We've got to act. We've got to be involved. We've got to witness. We've got to minister. We've got to teach. We've got to fellowship. We've got to agree. We've got to be unity. We've got to be free. We've got to be excited like we've been this morning. I'm excited right now. I'm so thankful I can say these things to you because it is the answer for you and your struggles, mine, and it is the answer for this world. And this world is going this way. Not this way, but we need to do whatever we can do to get people around us to go this way. So this is transformation. And this is a part of you and I being disciples. I hope, I trust, I pray that you will believe that every step of the way. So let's pray for a moment right now.